0: All right, it's so amazing to have everyone here. We've got folks from folks from uh, early parts of our lives and later parts of our lives, but it's just amazing that you're all here and just to uh, join with us in this inaugural service. Um, would you turn with me if you have your Bibles? Turn to First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. So amazing that everyone's here. Um, again, we have some folks. Who flew in from Hawaii? Uh, some folks who flew in from Texas. Some folks who drove from Vallejo and Chula Vista and Escondido. It's just you guys are just uh, tremendous. But uh, let's get into the word. This is why we're here. First uh, Peter chapter two. When people ask the question, "Why did you move to Oceanside?" we tell them it is to plant a church. And then they say, "Well, why?" They look at you crazy, and they say, why? And some of our teammates, a lot of times, they their co-workers, they're saying, why? Why did you move? Why would you leave your family and friends and all that is familiar? Why would the team leave lucrative jobs to plant a church? I don't know if you know that, but some of our teammates, they took pay cuts to come out here. Okay, Why would you leave a healthy church back home? Why would you spend your time And resources for a risky venture. On a corporate church basis, more questions arise. What is the purpose of a church? You say you come to plant a church, but why does it even exist? On an individual basis, I think this is where the, the crux of the matter comes. This is where the rubber hits the road. If you trust in Christ, if Christ is your Savior, why did He save you? What is your purpose? Why did God save you? What is the reason? And you have to get this answer right. If you don't get this answer right, you're like the proverbial adage when they say, If you aim at nothing, what? You hit it every single time. You got to get it this right. If a church does not focus on what it was created for, why God has brought the people to save them, to change them, to bring them together, if the church is not focused on what God has ordained for the church to do, it loses its power, it loses its focus, it becomes merely a social club. It becomes an activity generator. You lose the mission. Why does the church exist? Why are you saved if you've come to know the Savior? Life is too important to get this wrong. The Apostle Peter answers these questions in our passage this morning. If you would look, I'm only going to go through two verses. Two verses in chapter 2. Jeremy read some verses in chapter 4 to kind of give us a little bit more fuller meaning, but in chapter 2, Peter quotes the Old Testament, and he says here, you would read with me verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to understand this text. Give us clarity. Help us to answer these questions. These basic fundamental questions. Why are we saved? What does the church exist for? Why did you call us together for this? In Jesus' name, amen. What is the purpose of the church? Why does it exist? Why are you saved? All these questions can be answered here. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would give glory to Christ, so so that you would live your life in earnest seeking and pursuit of giving glory to Christ. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a very, very high calling, according to this verse. That is, your life should be a display of the majesty, of the worth, of the grandeur, of the beauty, and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mission. This is the focus. This is why we were brought together. This is why he called you out of darkness, we're going to see. How will you accomplish such a high calling? When you see this, and I see the world, and you live and you breathe in this world, don't you get daunted? Don't you get discouraged at times? I get discouraged when I watch the news. I get discouraged. But God has given us principles, things to hold on to, truths to ground us that would help us to give glory. To Christ to be an ambassador for the King of Kings. There are three truths. If you're following along, there's some notes. I think there's a Googly link. If you want it electronically, you could do that as well. But if you're following along, um, it's important. I want you to follow along here that there are three truths that God gives that must dominate your thinking if you're going to live a life that brings glory to Christ. It has to dominate your thinking. It has to be what's forefront. It has to be what's grounding you as you live your life in this age. Because everything here, all of media, all of the internet, and, this, and the TV, and the 400 channels that you have, because you have cocks, right? All of that can cloud what your mission in life should be. God has determined that. So the first truth that Peter gives here, the apostle, by the Holy Spirit, is number 1 recognize your new identity recognize your new identity you've got a new identity in Jesus Christ if you have said Jesus you're my savior i want you for to uh, i i want i believe in you i trust in your atoning work on the cross to save me from my sins then he what he does is he changes who you are fundamentally constitutionally your identity is different Now, this is language that Peter was using to describe uh, in the Old Testament, uh, how the Old Testament was using to describe Israel. And then Peter takes this language and he says, this is what, this is how, just as God used Israel, God is going to use the people of God. God is going to use the church, the local church, for his glory. This, is, this comes back from Isaiah and from Exodus. In Isaiah it says, The people whom I form for myself will declare my praise. In Exodus it says, You shall be a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words that shall be spoken to you. So this language is given to the new people of God as they trust in Christ. Here it says here in verse 9, we have these four elements. It says, You are a chosen race royal priesthood a holy nation a people for god's own possession first let's take a look at this you have a different destiny a different destiny notice he says here a chosen race a chosen race so for peter as he is saying if you notice if you follow along it says so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you In Peter's mind, what he says is you've got to realize that you have a new identity. And in that identity, part of the element of who you are as as a changed person is you've got a different destiny. A different destiny. The word there, chosen, means to be selected, picked out, elected. This is what the Bible calls the doctrine of election. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't back up. He doesn't argue for free will. Peter finds it necessary for you to know that that if if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the elect of God and you are going to bring him glory. This is often misunderstood. But Peter here, he says, you've got to understand this. This is how you're going to proclaim my glory. This is how you're going to proclaim. This is how you're going to be an ambassador for me. You've got to understand that God, in His sovereign will, even though you were a rebel against Him, even though you hated Him, and you didn't want anything to do with Him, you didn't want anyone to be an authority over your life, God says, I chose you that you would be with me. And He makes no apology for it. Notice He says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, He says it again. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, what was happening was the church was being persecuted. They ran for their lives. Okay, and so Peter writes this letter to encourage them. They feel fragmented. They feel alone. They feel abandoned. They feel like uh, discouraged. They feel discouraged. And what Peter says, the very first thing he says to encourage them is who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And so what he says here is that they are chosen by the foreknowledge of God. Now this foreknowledge here, in the English, we don't really get what the the original is saying. But in the original language, this word foreknowledge means that he had intimate relationship with you even before you were created. He had an intimate relationship with you even before you were formed. In other words, God wants you to know this. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I want you to know that I intimately, experientially loved you. Now that gives me confidence, doesn't it? Does it give you confidence? Are you there with me? You're awake. Is it too hot? Feels like India in here. Can you turn the air conditioner a little bit? Are we on max right now? All All right. So God, he wants to show his love and affection for you. If you're struggling with this doctrine, I know that many folks, you may come from different churches, but brothers and sisters, if you look at the text, it simply just states it. It assumes that you would just read it and understand by a normal reading of the text what this means. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2. We'll see. In Ephesians chapter 2. It calls out the condition of man before you are saved. Before you come to know Christ. Before you are regenerated. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions, trespasses, and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So the condition of man, apart from Christ, is he has no desire, no longing for God. He doesn't seek after the true God. He has no real motivation to serve or honor Him. You are dead, and that was my life. A lot of folks here have known me before I was saved. My heart was dead towards God. Every time someone brought up Christ, I didn't want to hear about it. I shut it out. I didn't want to hear about Christ. Why? Because I know that he claims to be God and he has authority over the universe. My heart was dead. But he says here, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, having his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with By a supernatural act of God, he steps into time and he plucks me out. And he says, I know, Angelo, you will never turn to me. You will never come to me. I'm going to act in time and cause you to believe. And what he says here is if we even go back in the timetable, this is how it happens. But in Ephesians chapter 1, now we look at how this election is related to regeneration. But in Ephesians chapter 1, it says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now watch this, verse 4, okay? I'm not even preaching this. I'm just reading it, okay? Just as He, what? Chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that He would be holy, blameless before him verse 5 in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself according to the kind intention of his will and here we go again to the praise of the glory of his grace but here is what I want you to capture notice he says here in verse 4 just as he chose us in him clearly that's election before the foundation of the world that he would be holy and blameless before him And then in verse 5, in love, notice these phrases, in love. And then he says here, in his kindness, right? The kind intention of his will, verse 5, in love. This doctrine of election, surely what does this mean for the Christian? It means that, brothers and sisters, that God truly and deeply loves you. A lot of times if you're fighting and militating on what this means, being chosen of God, this is what it means. It means he's loved you. He's known you even before time. And he has set his affection on you. This gives grounding. This gives firmness in your faith that I know because I have a faith in Christ and I know that he has saved me and washed me from my sins. But I know that he has set his affection on me and even if all leave me, he still loves me. And that's why you could step out. Sometimes my wife would, uh, I'll embarrass her a little bit. Sometimes my, that's okay, as always, she says. She'll say, when did you start loving me? And I'll say, you know, about two years ago, no, no, honey, serious. When did you start loving me? And what she wants to do is she wants to keep going back. Because the further back I can say I love her, the deeper it is, right? Was it five years ago? No, more than that, honey. Come on, we've been married 19 years. (laughs) 10 years? Yes, of course. 15? Yeah. 19? Yeah. How about like the two years we were dating? Yeah, yeah, I loved you. And then what happens? Because I'm a finite man. Did you love me uh, 50 years ago? No. 60 years ago? No, I did not. 70. Eight, no, i not even born.
1: Okay. My love ends,
0: doesn't it? I'm a finite man. I can't go beyond that. My love only has a certain limit and a capacity. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, here is the reality. You ask God, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, and you, and you know him as Savior, you keep asking him, God, when did you love me? When did you love me? He will keep going back. Beyond creation, beyond history, he has set his affection on you. And this is why Peter says, you are a chosen race. Amen? Doesn't that fill your heart? It's not a doctrine to be argued. It's a doctrine to be loved. It's a savior to be loved. Amen? Amen. So he, you have a different destiny. You have a different status. Notice he says, you're a royal priesthood. Now, what has occurred since Jesus Christ died on the cross for man's sin, he has bled and he died and he is the only mediator from between man and God. So what that means is, if you have come and you don't know Christ, your sins are still on you. Jesus Christ comes as the mediator to die for your sins. If you trust and put your faith in Christ, His righteousness will cover you. Your sins will be upon Him. That is what we call the transaction of the Christian faith. But what happens is, when you become a a Christian, now you get to serve the King. You understand? You are in His royal priesthood. Not in a mediatorial sense. Because Timothy tells us what? There is one mediator between what? God and man. The man? Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator. So you're a priest, but not in the sense that you're a mediator. You're a priest in the sense that you get to serve the high and holy God. It is a privilege to serve the king. In Revelation chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, for this reason, even as we were singing the Brazilian praise song, for this reason, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. It is a privilege of service. I remember we we were missionaries for about four years in a South Asian country. I can say that. As we were there, I remember one of our buddy's got in a car wreck and in this particular country the way you find out who was wrong is you shout loudest and as they were shouting at each other right name dropping starts to occur you know name dropping is shameless name dropping one of the guy goes well, yeah well uh my uncle's the detective of the police force and then another guy goes well I drive for the chief minister. And everyone just back down. Because they know he's just a driver, but he has a position of status. Brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a position of status. You get to serve Christ. You get to serve his kingdom. You get to be an ambassador for his glory. It is a privilege. It is an honor. So you have a different destiny. You have a different status. You also have a different character. When God saves, he changes all the time. If those, are, if there are folks who say that they are saved and there's never been a change in their life, there's never been a, a surrender to Christ, they've never been saved. The Bible says here that they are a holy nation. Notice he says, in uh, First Peter, turn with me back to First Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. You're the elements of your new identity, your chosen race, a royal priesthood, and now you're a holy nation. The word there for holy simply means to be separate, to be set apart. And what God does is He sets you apart from the world. And he sets you to God. And how that acts is, number one, first, you come to Christ through faith. And then secondly, he changes your life so that you become more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You become holy. You become separate. You become marked differently. Your life becomes changed. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to show this marked change. It doesn't mean that you've had a perfect life before Christ. It doesn't mean that you had good parenting before Christ and that you were uh, absolutely blameless before Christ. What it means is that God is changing your life as you've come to Christ. And it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, And in verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, God says, don't be fooled. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, verse 11, this is an amazing verse to me. This is where I find freedom. He says, such were, you listening? Such were some of, what does it say? You. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is writing to these Ephesians, and he says, this is how you used to be. Isn't that amazing? I could find myself, sadly, I could find myself in verse 9. That's what I was. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, that's what you used to be now, because you know Christ, and Christ has washed you and changed you, and your life is markedly different with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. He arms you. He arms you with this new identity. You have a different destiny. You have a different status. You have a different character. And then you have here a people for God's own possession. A different relationship. And the word there for possession means to purchase acquisition. It means Jesus says exactly what he says. He he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. So remember what Christ has done to live a life that brings glory to Christ. Recognize your new identity. Second, second, live your new purpose. Live your new purpose. Notice it says here, and he states it in no uncertain terms that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. There are two phrases we're going to take a look at. Okay? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him and that who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. The first one, a first point here, I think you have a C there, is communicate clearly. Communicate clearly. God has called you to communicate. You understand? If you are saved in Christ and you know the Lord Jesus and he has given you a different destiny, a different status, a different character, a different relationship in him, it says that there is a purpose. And you notice it says here, so that you may proclaim. In the original language, the word there, that, denotes the purpose or the end. In order that, in order that, with the design to the end that. In other words, the construction indicates purpose. God has called you for this purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose here, it says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. The word therefore, proclaim, means to publish to advertise, to report widely, to proclaim throughout, to demonstrate. And what are you supposed to proclaim? His excellencies. That means his moral excellency, his virtue, his manifestation of divine power, his heroic deeds, heroic deeds. In other words, you are called to tell of the greatness of God. You are called as an ambassador of the greatness of God. So when you go to work, you're not just a Marine. You're not just a Marine number going through all that you have to do. You are a representative of Christ in the workforce. When you go to your IT work or your IT job and you step in there, you are not a systems administrator. You are an ambassador in the IT world. Isn't that amazing? When you're an occupational therapist, you're not walking in there just to simply massage people, right, Mike? You are there as an ambassador of Christ to tell of his goodness. Surely, you're there to bring glory to God. You have to recognize and to understand this high, high calling. Now, surely, this proclaiming of his excellencies, proclaiming of the greatness and the attributes and the holiness, and the wonder of God, that proclaiming surely involves preaching and teaching. And this is why we have a high, high focus on the Word of God as it's being preached and taught. Surely it includes discipling, but in Peter's mind, he says, all of life proclaims the glory of God. All of life, you should be sifting through your life to see, is this glorifying God or not? And let me prove it to you. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, How you live is supposed to give glory to God. Notice he says in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that is the unbelievers, so that in the thing which you slander as evildoers, you may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, notice what? Glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, if you behave in such a way where you don't blow your top, you don't curse out your manager when you're at work in the warehouse, right? When you uh, if you live in such a way where you give glory to God, they God's greatness and his majesty and his glory will be known. It can be seen on the way you submit. Notice verse 13. It says, "Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as one, in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Here he's saying you glorify God by your submission and not being rebellious to government. Notice in chapter 3, chapter 3, you glorify God, wives, by the way you love your husbands. Notice in verse 3, verse 1, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior and their wives as they observe your chaste and respectable behavior. It's precious, verse 4, in the sight of God. You glorify God husbands by the way you love your wives. Right, women? Are you there? Right? Chapter 3. Chapter 3. And verse Seven, it says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, meaning protect her, provide for her, love her, fight for her, right? Since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All of this, you guys, are you guys seeing this? All of this is meant to give glory to God. To proclaim His excellencies. Notice in chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Peter says, a way to glorify God is to open up your home. And to allow people into your house. And the word there for hospitality is to love strangers. To welcome people. You bring glory to God by the way you serve. Look at verse 11. Chapter 4 and verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, here he says it again, in all things, God, what does it say? May be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Ever. I could go on and on, and you will see different facets of life in 1 Peter that says you will proclaim the glory of God as you focus on Christ and live for him. So communicate clearly that you may proclaim. Second, focus fully. Focus fully. It isn't just superfluous information. Notice Peter says in First Peter chapter 2, go back to that verse in chapter 9, He says, for you were, he says, uh, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you, notice he says, proclaim the excellencies of him, and then he goes into this phrase, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's as if Peter can't help but say, yes, you proclaim the glories of God, you proclaim his glories, but notice, center it on this. What is it? The center. The center is who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is that saving call. Now, darkness is talked about a lot in the scriptures. Darkness is the sphere of life apart from the redeeming and saving work of Christ. Darkness is ignorance. In 1 Peter 1.14, um, if you read there, in verse 14 it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Darkness is without mercy. Darkness is ungodly living. Darkness is the dominion of the enemy. Darkness is deception. Darkness is demonic reign. And so what, what Peter is saying is, before you knew Christ, that was the sphere that you lived. I remember before I was saved, people were trying to call me to the gospel and I, I, and I was saying, well, I need to be free. I need to live the way I want to live. And really my freedom was really just slavery to my sin. I was sold to my sin. I couldn't do any otherwise. Christ had to step in and change me and free me from it. Then it says into his marvelous light, Light is an imagery of truth. It's an imagery. Christ says, I am the light of the world. Light is Christ's redemptive work. And so what Peter is saying is, yes, you proclaim the glories of God who has saved. Who has what? What does it say? The glories of God, the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But focus on his redemption work. Major on his redemptive work. Major on what God does to man. What does he do? He rescues them from his sin and he changes their lives. Peter focuses on his redemptive work. So, not only, so number one, how do you accomplish giving glory to God? How do you do that? You recognize your new identity. Recognize your new identity. You live your new purpose. And then thirdly, you dwell on your new reason. We're going to camp on here for a little bit. You dwell on your new reason. Look at verse 10. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what God is saying to you, God is saying to you is this. In order for you to proclaim my excellencies, you got to dwell on these new motivations that I've given. You can't do it out of the own flesh of the arm. You can't do it out of your own, well, I'm going to just glorify God. I'm going to grit my teeth and do it. Even if I hate it, God is not going to bless that. Right? He desires that your hearts be in it, and he gives you the right motivations. And there are two elements of motivations here in verse 10. Number one. First, he says, to be amazed at God's supernatural family. Be amazed at God's supernatural family. Notice it says here, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. For you once were not. At some time, you were not included in God's family. When people say everyone is God's family, that's not altogether true. The ones who are God's family, the Bible says, are those who have come through Christ have said, I can't earn salvation. I can't do it. I can't be perfect. I need someone who is. I need him to step in my place. And what he does is he brings you into this new family, this new people of God. And what that means is is, is two, two very important truths. Number one, God is your Father. Amen? That's why when the disciples ask Jesus, how do you pray? He says, what does he say? Our Father who art in heaven. I love and I, I know you saints love too that when I'm in trouble I could run to my Father in heaven. Amen? Do You think this will help you proclaim his glories in a workplace where your supervisor, supervisor is cussing you up and down in front of everybody else? Oh man, I've had that. I, my first boss is here. Bridget, she's my first boss. She sent me to some places where I've seen some terrible warehouses, but not because of her. We were providing a service, right? But as I went there, okay, as I went there, I I would get uh, I had some bad experiences, but you know what? I know that God loved me. I know that he uh, his his affection was on me. I know that I've been called for a greater purpose. I know that I. I have. A, I need to respond in a godly manner, not in a like manner. That would. Uh, I didn't. I didn't want to punch him in the nose. You know. I wanted to glorify God. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And brothers and sisters, notice, know this: that when you go into the throes of it, okay, the stresses of life, God is your father. Another thing about this people of God, we've been called together. So the church are your brothers and sisters. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been placed uh, and, you, and you have been placed in his body. This is, these are metaphors that the Bible says, you, you have new brothers and sisters. These are your, I'm sorry, it's just like your regular family. You're stuck with them, right? But our family. You have a new family in Christ. These are your brothers and sisters. And so you are tied. And this is committed. This is committed love. If you don't have a church, I want to encourage you, find somewhere where you can be committed that preaches the Bible, glorifies Christ, takes the gospel seriously, is Christ-centered. Go there, commit yourself to there. If you don't have one, commit here. Right here. Redeemer Bible Church. This is why we want to be committed. We don't want to be a church where you kind of just, well, I'm not going to that church because they don't serve me fries and shake at the end. We're a body, and so we do this together. And I tell you there are times when we get into our home groups, our, our times for encouragement is this. God, help me to glorify you in my workplace. Help me to glorify you as I go out. Help me to glorify you as I take the kids to sports because some of the moms keep talking about me right? Help me to glorify you. And what do we do? We get together as a people of God, focused, to get your mind right again. Second, dwell on your new reason. You have a family. God's your father, brothers and sisters. You have brothers and sisters in the church, but here, I want you to just sink your teeth into this, okay? Just sink into it. Be astounded at God's rich forgiveness. Just Be astounded. Never get beyond this. Okay? This is not Christianity 101, and then you get beyond. No. This is it. This is it. He says, You had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. God acted on you, and He granted you mercy. What is that? He looked at your pitiful. Life apart from him, you're cursing, you're bitter, you're envious, you're, you're lustful, you're gambling addicted, Your life, and he has mercy on you. Notice in First Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. I'm just going to read this. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for him to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being revealed, reviled, he didn't revile in return. Notice Christ is the example of how to suffer. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And then in, in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Verse 25. You were continually straying like sheep. And now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Are you wandering from God now? If if this is a foreign language to you, it's because you don't know him. You have not received mercy. You mock His name. Jesus Christ is a curse word to you. If you know Christ, give your life to Him and serve Him. But if you don't, I plead with you, turn to Him. He will give you mercy and He will lather it. He will forgive you all of your sins. You need a shepherd. Yes, you do. You think you're living your own life, I could do it on my own. You're gonna go like that to hell. Can't do it on your own. You need a shepherd. You need a guardian of your soul. You need him to stand in your place. How will you bring glory to Christ? This is why we're here. How will you bring glory to Christ? Recognize your new identity, live out your new purpose, and dwell on your new motivation, all in Christ. Are you a believer? But when you look in the mirror of the word, you know you're not living for the glory of Christ. Join us. Join this ragtag group of believers. Motley crew right here. We are the motleyest of crews, right? Join us. This is what we desire to do. This is our aim. This is our hope. Are you here not knowing anything about Christ? Are you still thinking about the claims of Christ? I just want to encourage you. Turn to him. He'll wash away all of your sins. Turn to the shepherd. You are fighting divine love. Stop fighting. He loves you. Turn to him. He'll wash away your sins. Let's pray. Father, we... oh. That way we could call you Father. We should have been thrown in hell forever and ever. All of our sins, God. They're so heavy on us. And yet you gave your Son to bleed for our sins on the cross. We are a people most grateful. And today we celebrate that we would have a place to glorify you together as a family. And we pray, Father, you would give us much fruit. God, we want people who've never known Christ to be saved. To know this wonderful Savior. To fall at his knees and praise him. Thank you for all the friends who are here. May we have a blessed time of fellowship and worship. uh, Build relationships here for your glory. Help us to sing. In Jesus' name, amen.